If you have a Bible with you, go ahead and open it up to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. While you're flipping there, I'll tell you a story about my childhood. When I was younger, my dad, he was a teacher at a high school, so he had summers off. And so every morning during the summer, my brother and I would say, what are we going to do today, Dad? And he said, we're going to work. His idea was that we would do hard work in the mornings and it would build character. See how well that worked out. Uh, Say, what are we going to do today, Dad? And he said, we're going to work. And we say, what kind of work? And he said, it's hard work. And we said, what kind of hard work? We wanted to know what our fate was for the day. He said, it's going to be hard, dirty work. What kind of hard, dirty work? Really hard, dirty work. And that could go, that would have gone on all morning. So today... We're going to talk about what kind of work we're going to be doing as Christians. We, I always talk about how we are supposed to be cultivating deep love for God and deep love for people and then merging those two passions together and making disciples of all the nations. And I wonder if some of you think, all right, I'm in, but how? What, what am I supposed to do practically? So these three weeks, that's what we're going to address. How? What exactly does it look like for you and for me to be obedient to what Jesus has said? And I'm excited about this. I think that uh, this and a pretty big announcement that I have this morning, which I will hide in the middle of my sermon so that you'll pay extra close attention. um, I'm excited about what's to come for us. So today we're going to talk about, I'll just call it the weapon, uh, what we're armed with for this task. Next week we're going to talk about the strategy uh, how will we go about it? And the last week we'll talk about uh, the outcome, where all this is going, what it's going to look like for people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every culture to worship Jesus in the end. And it's beautiful. So this is sort of a go get your work gloves on kind of sermon. Um, so hopefully you're up for that. How many of you saw the Coney viral video that was circulating around the internet. It was like Coney 2012. It was a 30-minute-ish video about a guy in Africa who was like a leader of a militia who would abduct children and just do horrible crimes against humanity. How many of you saw that? Okay, a fair number of you. If, if you were in front of a computer in the last month, or if you had Facebook especially, or Twitter, you probably saw something about it. Um, this, this guy and his, I guess, company made this video, and it was very compelling, about this uh, evil, evil man named Coney in Africa who was doing these atrocious things. Um, and it went viral. It, it went everywhere. People were watching it everywhere, and you saw it everywhere. And then it sort of fizzled out as people started to bicker and question, well, what do we do about it? What do we do? I think, you know, a lot of people thought, put a lot of pressure on America to send military over there to do something. And then a lot of other people thought, no, that's not really the right answer. That's an oversimplification. The question of what do we do about all this darkness and all this evil that's in the world? Because there's a lot of it. And not just over in Africa. There's a lot here. Uh, I was researching for the sermon at the Census Bureau's website. And according to the Census Bureau... For every 1,000 people in America, there are more than 10,000 serious crimes committed each year. So we're producing crime 10 times as much as, as we even exist. 
For every 1,000 people, there are roughly 15 murders per year per 1,000 people in America. There's roughly 88 forced rapes per year per 1,000 people in America. There's 9,000 plus uh, crimes of theft, burglaries, car theft, things like that. Uh, There was over, my memory's failing me, over a couple hundred uh, aggravated assaults per 1,000 people per year in America. What do we do about all this? And you see, uh, you know, the infomercials on TV, starving children everywhere. What do we do? It seems like such a big problem. Well, the big idea for today is that we as Christians, we are armed with the most powerful weapon against darkness and evil that the world has ever seen. And we alone have it. We're the only ones who have it. And it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this whole sermon is meant to try to prove that to you and kind of teach you how the gospel works in this way. So we're going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting at verse 18. And those who are able, if you'll stand as an expression of honor as we read God's word. 1 Corinthians 1, starting at verse 18. Paul writes, For the word of the cross is folly... To those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. So that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let's pray before we're seated. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, may it now speak powerfully into our lives and enable us to go speak powerfully into the lives of others. Lord, I pray that you would do deep work in our hearts while we're here together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. So I I just have three points that I want to make based on this passage. We're not going to comb through every verse like we've been doing in Romans. Uh, I just have sort of three big ideas that I want us to digest as we move forward with Penny Crusade, as we move forward as Christians 
trying to make disciples. Okay? So, point number one. The gospel is merely foolish to some, but extremely powerful to others. The gospel is merely foolish to some, but extremely powerful to others. In verse 18, Paul writes, For the word of the cross, which is another way of describing the gospel, is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So to some people, the word that we have, the the message we have about Jesus is just foolishness. Now, what do you do when you encounter foolishness? You don't do anything, really. You dismiss it. You take it lightly. You set it aside. Or maybe you snicker at it or mock it, but you continue on your course. It's the way I treat the celebrity gossip magazines in the checkout aisle. It's foolishness to me. I see it. But it doesn't affect me. It doesn't matter to me. I'm, I'm moving on with what my life is about. I don't care you know, whose horrific beach body this is. You know, I don't care. It's foolishness to me. It doesn't matter. So I can set it aside. And that's what many do with the gospel. They hear it. Fine. You believe it. It's good. It's not good. I don't really care. It's just foolishness to me. It's, it's a light, trivial matter. Now, for others, it is the very power of God. It is extremely powerful. To others, it's like the ring in Lord of the Rings. Anybody see Lord of the Rings? You didn't see Coney, but maybe you saw Lord of the Rings? Goodness, we got to get you got some DVD players or something. Every movie illustration falls flat. When will I learn? The ring in Lord of the Rings is this object of immense power. And whoever has it just will not let go of it. So for some, the gospel is like that. For some, it's foolishness, doesn't affect them at all. And for some, it completely blows their life apart and changes everything. And we don't know who's going to be who. And you see the two reactions everywhere. We, I see it here in our own congregation. You know, some, of, some of you hear the gospel and that's fine. But I got my life to live. It's a light matter, not really pivotal. But then others of you, I mean, I see you white-knuckled clinging to it for your very life. For you, it is the very power of God. So when I throw it out, it's like throwing out a a life preserver to a bunch of drowning people. And some just see it and they're like, whatever, and keep treading water. And others cling to it with all their might and by it are pulled to safety. And you see the two different reactions within families— Within families, some people cling to it and some people dismiss it. You see it within communities, you see it within our nation, and we'll see it as we get involved in global missions. For some people, the gospel is merely foolish. For other people, it is the very power of God. It changes everything for them. So two practical things to take away from that as we get engaged in making disciples. One, don't expect everybody to hear what you have to say about Jesus and be changed immediately and dramatically before your eyes. Because we know it's powerful. We can expect it to be immediately powerful for everybody. But some people don't receive it that way. So the gospel is not like a ray gun that you zap people with and they just become amazing worshipers of Christ. Some will, many, many will not. 
So don't be discouraged. As you go out there, and as many of you I know already are out there in your workplace, in your family, extended family, with your friends, you're out there, you're trying to nudge people toward Christ, you're trying to share the gospel with the opportunities that you get, you're trying to live it out. Don't get discouraged when many, many, many people are oblivious to it and it doesn't affect them. Because maybe there's one that it will affect. And that one person, their entire life will be changed. Their entire soul will be saved. And I've told you guys stories of my many previous jobs before I landed here. One of which was uh, waiting tables at Olive Garden. By far the job that I was the worst at. And I, I waited tables there while I was in seminary. And it was one of my first jobs when I finally really started to get engaged in this mission of making disciples and seeing people in that light. So this is one of the first jobs where I've told you I would get there early so I could pray over these people. And I would just be looking for opportunities the whole time I was there while I was spilling ice water on old ladies and messing up orders and being a terrible waiter. So there were a lot of people there. There was... um, There was a guy there who had young kids, and he wrote short stories. And, you know, I'm trying to get involved in this guy's life, and I'm asking him about them. And he says, you want to read one? I do. And it was crazy, horrific stuff. His imagination was dark. So there was that guy. He would would put some of the wine in his coffee when nobody was looking. There um, There was a lot of young guys that just wanted some money so they could go out partying. Uh, There was a girl from Nigeria who was very skeptical about Christianity. Uh, There was a one guy who claimed to have been, do you call, when it comes to ballerina stuff, do you call men ballerinas? He was involved in the ballet. Ballerinos? (laughs) The dancer. Okay. Okay, he's just a dancer. (laughs) He talked with this thick French accent, but nobody believed him. Everybody claimed it was a fake accent. Uh, he, he, was ab- he was definitely a homosexual and very open about it. Uh, there was another guy there who was an adamant homosexual. His father was a, a uh, hardcore Baptist minister, and they were estranged from each other. Um, there was an Italian guy who had the shortest fuse of anybody I've ever met. I remember one day in the kitchen, he came bursting in, tears down his cheeks. He threw his uh, order pad, and he went, and he sat underneath a table in the kitchen, in the fetal position. Furious. I never found out why. But there were all these people, and I was with them a lot, praying for them, you know, trying to sow the seeds of the gospel. I never saw any indicator that anybody cared. But then toward the end, after I gave my notice that I was leaving, there was this one younger girl. She had just started there. And I was talking to her boyfriend who came in to see her. And he indicated to me that she had really been thinking a lot about Jesus. And that had a lot to do with things I had been talking about. And I didn't even, I wasn't really even thinking about her that much. I was thinking about all these crazy people. So my point in telling you that is if you, if you already have a crowd of people that are around you, that you love, that you're really concerned about, it doesn't seem like anybody cares about your efforts to try to give them the gospel. Don't be discouraged and don't, don't, don't give up. Because maybe just one person will get it. And it could change everything for them. And you can't predict it. You can't know who it'll be. So it's really exciting. 
to be involved in this. So, point one, based on verse 18, some people will think the gospel is merely foolish. For other people, it will be the very power of God that will change everything for them. Uh, The second point I want to make, the gospel sets aside and contradicts and surpasses the wisdom and power of man. This tool that we have, this weapon, it contradicts, it sets aside, it transcends, it surpasses the wisdom and power of man. It doesn't just surpass it. It's not just more wise and more powerful than our wisdom and our power. It contradicts it. Let me read where I'm getting that from, verses 19. I'm going to read verses 19 through 25. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. Not just I will do better than the wisdom of the wise. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. And the discernment of the, of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, a folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So here's the idea of of this point, of this paragraph. If God were enrolled in a class, if he were taking like a college course on how to help the world, how to change the world, and mankind were the professor, are you with me? That is a bizarre scenario. If the final exam was for God and all the students to write a paper on how will you help the world, what's your strategy to help the world, change the world, mankind would fail God when God turned in his paper. Because his plan completely contradicts everything that we think we know about wisdom and power, about how people change, about how societies change, about what the world needs. It's just Jesus. His paper would be that one word, Jesus. It's just Jesus. I mean, it says in here, you know, the Jews, the spiritual people, they want signs. But God doesn't save them through signs. He saves them through Jesus, preached. The Greeks, you know, the philosophers, the wise men, they want wisdom, logic. But that's not how they're saved. They're saved through Jesus, preached. Now, this is an important point. This is where I'll get to my announcement. I told you I was hiding it in my sermon. Um, I've been talking with Jeff Walsh, who is the uh, director of world outreach across the street at our denomination's headquarters. You know, he's pretty new to the job, and I've just been talking to him about the task. It's a huge task that he has, how he's going to go about it. And I really, really like the way he's thinking about it. Um, I'm really, really excited about it. I've been talking to him about a potential short-term mission trip for our folks. We haven't done one since I've been here. Um, But I didn't want to take you guys to some third world country and build a building. Not that that's bad. That's good and fine. 
I wanted to go with you guys somewhere where they're not saturated with the gospel, where you can see the gospel, just the naked gospel itself, do amazing, miraculous things. And so it turns out that's kind of what he has in mind for what churches doing short-term missions might do. So I've been talking to him, I've been talking to our official board, and I want to plan a trip. I have no details right now at all, um, but here's what I think. I think when we do Penny Crusade 2, I didn't tell you there's going to be two Penny Crusades this year. Uh, instead of doing a big like eight-week one, we're going to do this three-week one, and then in the fall, do another three-week one. I think we'll get more money that way without burdening you so much. Um, I'm hoping by that second Penny Crusade, we'll have details. And I can tell you the details. And then I'm hoping by 2014 probably will be our trip. It's not something we're going to rush into. We're not going this week. But it's, it's on the horizon. So what I want you to do is pray about it. And I mean actually pray about it. I mean actually talk to God and say, God, do you want me to go? Do you want me to help other people go? You know, you told us to make disciples of all the nations. What do you want me to do specifically? Uh, Pray about it and start saving money. If you think that you ought to go, start saving money now. Um, Even if it turns out you're not going to go, maybe that can help somebody else go. But I want to go somewhere where they're not saturated with the gospel, where all we're armed with is the gospel, and we see God do crazy, ridiculous, miraculous things through the gospel. And all it will be is people telling people about Jesus. Just people telling people about Jesus. And you say, well, that's not enough. Surely there's more. We've got to do more than that, people telling people about Jesus. That doesn't sound powerful. That doesn't sound wise. The more, the more I learn, and I've got a long ways to go, if someone who doesn't know Jesus approves our plan for changing the world as wise and powerful, we're probably getting it wrong. Because everything I learned about the gospel says, no, it completely turns the world's wisdom upside down. So if I go and tell my non-Christian family or friends, we're going to go, we're going to go to Africa where that Coney guy is, and we're going to take him down. What are you going to take with you? Do you want a gun? No, I've got the gospel. And they should say, that's stupid. That's not going to do any good. That's not going to work. The world shouldn't understand why this works. It can't. God's wisdom surpasses the world's wisdom, and it destroys it, and it thwarts it. And it's that same approach that we need to have here with our discipleship here. You know, in my counseling, all I have is the gospel. I've never subscribed pills. I mean, I don't have the capability of that. All I have is the gospel, but I see it transform people. So... Some people will find the gospel to be just foolishness. Some will find it to be the power of God. The gospel sets aside, contradicts, surpasses the wisdom and power of man. And finally, the result of the gospel. The result of the gospel is the exact opposite of human boasting. The result of the gospel is worship. The result of gospel work, gospel ministry, is the exact opposite of any kind of human boasting. It's worship. Let me read you where that comes from, the last part of this passage, verses 26 through 31. 
Paul writes, Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. It's not really a very easy thing to hear. Is it? <laughs> you guys aren't that great. You guys aren't good looking. You're not that awesome. You're not powerful. You're not wise. You're not very smart. That's basically what Paul is saying. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. His, his point in saying that at the beginning, I believe, it isn't just to highlight that these Corinthians weren't that great. He's just trying to make the point that it's not about, it's not about that. It's, it's not about our wisdom, our power, our nobility, our social status. As the gospel moves forward and does its work, it's not a, an academic movement. It's not a philosophical movement. It's not a, an influential uh, lifestyle movement. It's a miracle movement. The context of this passage we're reading, Paul's writing to this church where the church is divided because some people really, really like Paul's teaching and some people really, really liked this guy Apollos' teaching. So they were divided. And Paul's trying to say, it's not about us. I planted, Apollos watered, but none of that matters. What's important is the seed. And the seed was the gospel. That was what always contained the power. So it's not about Paul, it's not about Apollos, it's not about Matt, it's not about Doolin's Grove. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let me ask you a question, and don't answer it out loud. Who is, if you had to name outside of the Bible, who is the greatest Christian who has ever lived? Think about it for a second. Who would you say is the greatest Christian who ever lived? And then think about what is the greatest church that has ever been outside of the Bible? I wonder what names, what churches come to your minds. See, I bet that the greatest Christian who has ever lived outside of the Bible and the greatest church that's ever been, we've never heard of. I bet we've never heard of the guy or the gal that we've never heard of the church. But I bet this person or this church has done monumental work in the world. And the gospel has probably worked through them in huge ways. But it's so subtle. And it never points back to a human. It points to God and his mercy and his grace. It's probably someplace in China where they're not allowed to, where they don't have billboards, where they don't have static clings on the back of all their cars, where they don't have websites promoting their church. And we see the gospel grow in these places where they don't have all the marketing stuff that we have. And we think, wow, that's cool. The gospel can even proceed without our help. Good for you, God. Picturing like on the chin. And God, you know, he's such a good father. He's like, 
you know, we don't realize we're like little kids at work with our dad. We do more to slow them up than we do to help. Now, I'm not saying these things are bad. We have a website. I'm going to tell you next week about new church t-shirts. So, I mean, I'm not saying these things are like evil, but they are not what is going to change the world. It's just the gospel. And that's hard for me. My background before I came here was in marketing and public relations stuff and sales. And I like all that. And so I'm always pulled to try to market Dolan's Grove, promote Dolan's Grove. But God has never called me to promote Dolan's Grove. And God has never called you to promote Dolan's Grove. He's only called us to promote Jesus Christ. He'll build his church. We don't have to build a church. Jesus said, I'll build my church. You go make disciples. When we become Christians, we become arrows, like straight arrows. Picture a straight arrow. An arrow can't point to itself. A straight arrow points to something. When you become a Christian, you become a straight arrow pointing to Jesus. In uh, 2 Corinthians, his other letter to the same church, he said, in chapter 4, verse 5, he says, What we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. That's who we, that's who we are. That's who we're becoming. So my vision, just to close this whole thing, so the big idea, we have the most powerful weapon against darkness and evil that the world has ever known, and only we, only us Christians, have it. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Many will find it foolish, but some will find it completely powerful and life-changing. Now, the gospel is so wise and so powerful, it doesn't just surpass our wisdom and power. It crushes it. It contradicts it. And the result of it is the opposite of boasting about us. It's worship. All eyes will look to Jesus when the gospel work is happening. So here's, here's my vision before we pray. My vision is for this, and I've told you this before, for this subtle, silent, invisible filling up of the nations with Christians. And people to look around in Charlotte and be like, why is everybody worshiping Jesus? The only thing I've ever heard is just this story about this guy, Jesus, who claimed to be God, who died, and they say he rose again, he's alive. The only thing that can explain why so many people are coming to Christ is this must be true. This gospel must be true. It's the only explanation. Because they're not cool. (laughs) It can't be a movement of cool. It must be that the gospel's true. They're not the brightest bulbs in the box. It must be because the gospel's true. I want to be a part of that. And it begins with me and you. People telling people about Jesus. So let's do it. And let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the work that you are doing in lives here and across the world through him. And the good news of what he has already done for us. Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom and guide us because our wisdom is weak and our power is weak and uh, we don't know much. Lord, help us to be obedient. Help us to see how to proceed. I pray that you would work through us as a group of people in powerful, powerful ways that point only to you so that the people of this community and of the world 
worship Jesus Christ as the Lord, as the King. It's in his name we pray. Amen.